0: What's up guys welcome back to another episode of behind the facade i'm your host gavin j Gallagher, and on this podcast i explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market the key to success in this game is to master your mindset your your behavior to take control of your thoughts your emotions and most importantly your ego so here we are on episode 73 and I'm going to begin this podcast with a bit of a, an apology for last week's podcast. It was pretty poor in quality, if, if I'm honest, and it's. Um, I just wanted to kind of say that I do recognise that I uh, I put out a kind of subpar uh, podcast last week, number seventy two. I was talking about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats as a property investor, but. If I'm honest, it was one of those things where I just left myself a little bit too little time and I ended up having to compromise on the quality. So just want to reassure you guys that is not going to be the case this week. Um, what I've One of the reasons why that happened is basically I have overcommitted myself and um, have you ever said yes too many times and then suddenly everything is all kind of happening at the one time and uh, things start to suffer and... The things that normally you can easily cope with suddenly become kind of a bit overwhelming. And it has been that case uh, for me just recently. I've been burning the midnight oil. I've been in the office till quite late and finding myself under huge pressure. And um, there's just a lot of different reasons for it. There's, you know, everybody's returning to work in the next. In fact, today, the day that this podcast is released is the 20th of September. And that is when ireland is kind of back to the office and so i found myself very busy preparing for that in east point Point. and then on top of that we're working on a, a kind of a big transaction within the business and there's just various things going on and on top of that i have my now mastermind program is now live so i have kind of juggling quite a few things at the moment. So anyway, look, I'm not going to keep, keep going into it. I just want to apologize for the quality of last week's uh, podcast and say that this is going to be a good one. I got a tons of value in this one for you guys. So keep listening. So first of all, I'm going to say hello to a new listener. It's funny. I was speaking with an old college friend this week and uh, he called me up and just said that he had, um, he had discovered the podcast. And... Um, he had been speaking with another one of our college friends and uh, she was a listener and sort of had suggested he do too. So he actually seemed kind of surprised to say that it's pretty good. And uh, so anyway, I just want to do a quick shout out to Michael and Nessa. Both of them are uh, old college friends and uh, both of them, I believe, are listeners. So hello, guys. Uh, good to have you listening and he Michael is binging the episodes at the moment, and he's up to level up to episode forty-two. So he's only got about thirty to go. And he suggested that um, I would benefit from talking about the retrofitting of existing building stock, and that is something that I know quite a bit about, being based here in East Point. And East Point, the first buildings here in East Point were delivered back in nineteen ninety-six. So they have actually been around for 25 years. Since since people actually moved into the buildings, it's now 25 years. And that will mean that the the big kind of long leases that would have been entered into, like 25-year lease, is actually coming to a natural end. And so the buildings are at the end of their kind of lease. And normally when uh, you're at the end of your lease, what happens is the tenant, in these big kind of commercial leases anyway, the tenant is going to walk away, but they're going to have to kind of return the building to the condition it was when they moved in and so that is a there's a thing called a schedule of dilapidations that is done and typically the the landlord will appoint a surveyor and the tenant will appoint a surveyor and they will do reports on the condition of the building and what it would cost to bring it back to its original condition and usually it ends up with a negotiation and uh, the tenant will write a check to the landlord to cover the cost of that rather than having to do the work themselves and what happens anyway in this case is that the the landlord inherit gets basically gets the building back and it's in its old condition but he has some money to kind of put into uh, to doing the work and things like that but what you've got to think about in this situation is that the condition of the building 25 years ago is something else compared to the con- condition that you want it to be today and uh, tenants, you know, back 25 years ago, they had certain requirements, but today people have very different requirements. And so returning it to, you know, the, the amount of money that you get in a check for dilapidations doesn't come anywhere near the amount of money that you're probably going to have to spend to actually bring the building or the floor or whatever it is back to the condition. That would allow you to kind of go to the market and relet it to um, a similar type of tenant. And it usually requires a really comprehensive stripping out of everything and then completely you know, reinstating everything. So we've done this recently enough on a floor and we're currently looking at, a, at, a, at an entire building. And usually what you do in the, in the case of a floor anyway is you'd strip the uh, ceilings and the air conditioning and the lights and everything all out of the building. And you would um, tear out the bathrooms. You would do everything like that and you you may get to reuse the raised floor because there's not a huge amount of um, damage that gets to done to that but everything gets replaced like pretty much electrics and you'll be putting in new led lights on sensors and you definitely be putting in new uh, hvac plant that is heating ventilation and air conditioning and brand new bathrooms will be going in nicely tiled and all that new carpets and it's a very very comprehensive job gets done and usually i mean in terms of pricing I would say 20 to 25 euro per square foot is the kind of budget that we would expect to spend on returning a floor at least to that kind of condition that you wanna kind of go out to the market. And then the tenants that are gonna be moving in to that brand new space, it's gonna be very slick, but it's not gonna be a new building. And uh, that is where the landlord has to start kind of making some difficult decisions. For example, the, the external envelope or the curtain wall the glazing on the front of the building and all that you know typically after 25 years it's still in good enough condition to kind of just be left as it is and and you know you don't want to necessarily go and start having to do all of that because that's a huge job but uh, so it doesn't need to be replaced but if you don't replace it then you're basically going to be stuck with a thermal rating that is 25 years out of date and nowadays you know the windows that they put on buildings have got this sort of solar protection layer that sort of keeps the floor from heating up. And you don't have that on the older stuff necessarily. And uh, so you're basically what you're the floor that you're handing over to a new tenant is not going to have the same energy sort of conservation standards uh, in here in Ireland. We call it the 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 B E or the building energy rating. And um, it's, this is, nowadays, this is becoming a, a consideration, especially for the bigger tenants. They are looking for you know high energy ratings. Here in Ireland, we call that like an A1 or whatever. That would be the top energy rating. And then when you're buying a residential property, it has a top rating and the banks will actually lend to you at a lower rate. Whereas if you've got, you know, if you're buying, say, a 1960s kind of building, you're probably going to be looking at an, a rating of kind of D or E or something. And even going back to kind of the old... Georgian sort of properties the the period properties that you can buy they might have a a rating of g or something like that so there's a big range out there but when you're talking about um, emissions that's that that's another thing that's completely separate and the way buildings get heated nowadays uh, you know if it has gas central heating or something like that that is another bit of a problem because now your building is going to have sort of slightly higher emissions than it would have if it was heated with electricity, because you can now choose to have, you know, renewable electricity um, sources and things like that. And you can also put in PV cells and, and things like that on your building. So there's there's a huge amount of thought that goes into this, and um, it's, you know, if you also when it comes to the air conditioning system, if you're if you're putting in a, a you know an air conditioning system, the one that people are now sort of right being recommended is a F system, that's variable refrigerant flow, and you're also kind of looking at things like heat recovery systems, so you can move cool air to areas where it's needed or hot air to areas where it's needed. So, for example, if you're looking at a building here in Ireland uh, in in the winter months. If you're sitting in the central part of the building, it could be quite cold and you might need heat there. But if you're sitting at a window that's on the south side, the likelihood is that the sun is shining on the glass and so it's heating up and so the person who's sitting, just, you know, at that window is going to need cooling. They're going to need air conditioning switched on at their side, but then the guy in the central part of the floor may need heating. So, it's not a very efficient system unless you're able to kind of have a thing uh have this kind of um heat uh heat conservation system then you've um, or heat recovery i should say then you've also got to think about water conservation nowadays like there's things like rain harvesting and then there's um, uh, you know flow protection uh, low flow taps in the bathrooms and all of this is becoming critical because what people are trying to do is have esg the the esg that everyone's kind of talking about nowadays is really starting to become an issue and unless you can demonstrate that your building has got, you know, a, a high degree of water conservation, energy conservation, low emissions, all of that, it starts to look like a kind of a poor choice as, a, as an office location. And so all of this is starting to kind of show its face now. And one of the considerations we're having is, you know, do we go and get certified? Uh, there's so many different plans out there nowadays. There's LEED, there's BRIAM. There is also the wellness cert, there's Fitwell. There's all of these different sources out there of certification. And there's also, in fact, I, I had him as a guest not so long ago. If you go back, I can't remember which episode, but Michael Grant was speaking um, on behalf of Metricus. And they have a company that does air rating, indoor air quality certifi- certification. And they that company is called Air Rated. And that is another area that people are starting to look at is the the quality of the air inside the building. And then on top of that, you've got to look at, you know, bringing in energy, renewable energy. So putting things like photovoltaic cells or PV cells in the roof of the building. And also there's solar thermal, which is these things that kind of basically heat the water using solar power so that you can actually have warm water without needing to use sort of a gas fired central heating or whatever to heat up water. And you can have a green roof, and you can put. uh, Usually, a building at twenty-five years is the the roof is going to need replacement anyway, or certainly the roof membrane. Uh, And I have seen that here in in the case of one or two of our buildings where it's starting to uh, leak, and um, they're starting to kind of it's starting to, what's the word, delaminate, and so you have uh, you know water kind of getting in underneath the membrane. So it's about time to replace it. So people are looking at things like a green roof and uh, and all that kind of stuff and if you're going to do that then you can probably bump up the insulation to make the building that much more uh, that much better uh, insulated so if this all sounds a little bit like that you're basically building a new building you're not far wrong The really the, the reality is is that tenants now have a choice in the market and they can go and choose a brand new building that has all the bells and whistles and that has uh, you know it's got all the, the newest ratings and everything like that or they can move into a a building that is you know refurbished and brought up to a high standard, but maybe not the same as a brand new building. And that is where the uh, you know they we have to as landlords we have to weigh up the cost of upgrading against the cost of you know I mean we could decide let's let's spend a fortune on on this building and but is it economic to do that? Like will you get the extra rent from it? But then the other point is that perhaps the building will sit you know vacant for longer and you won't attract the tenants as quickly as you want if it doesn't have those extra bells and whistles and if you want to get the kind of the top level tenants that you know are out there then you do need to have a building that actually matches their kind of uh, status and they'll all have the top the the big kind of companies that are listed on the stock exchange they are very, very highly focused on ESG. Any kind of business that is associated with government or anything like that, you know, there's all these commitments around carbon uh, emissions and carbon footprint and things like that. So you've got to be very, very conscious of all this stuff and ESG commitments are something that all of these corporates are making. And so they need to make sure that the buildings that they occupy are delivering on this as well. And so, they will actually be looking at how they manage the building afterwards. It's it's quite interesting in the case of the the LEED certification. In the newest version of it, it doesn't actually matter. I, I just learned this the other day. Um, we we're having a discussion about this, and we were talking about putting in you know additional bicycle racks because that actually goes towards the the rating of the building and, and making it more green and stuff. But in the newest LEED certification, it doesn't actually matter how many lead uh, or sorry, how many bike racks are in there. What it matters is the number of people who are actually biking to work. It's actually an active assessment that they run. And they want to know that it's, you know, you might have a hundred bicycle sort of spaces out there, but are a hundred people actually biking to work every day and that's actually what the measure is not the number of sort of bike rack spaces so this is all it's 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 really starting to kind of become a big thing and and i think it's it's good that it is because the reality is is that you know the climate change and all that is not going to it's not going to stop and we have really got to do our best to kind of make sure that our buildings are as efficient as possible in that regard because 40 percent of all greenhouse gases come from the real estate sector and so we we do have to do our bit and so do we do we take the time to look at a an a brand new building or do we look at a refurbished building that maybe comes close and uh, it means a bit of a compromise but perhaps that compromise that little bit less rent that you pay means that you know they have a better bottom line and stuff so it's this is the compromise this is the difficulty that we have at the moment in um, in just deciding on what to do how far do you go when you are re- refurbishing a building. Now, do you want to go in, and, and take the external envelope and remove it from the building, and then you know bring, it, bring the entire building back to the original concrete, and then start like as if it's a brand new building? That's maybe going too far. It's probably not economic to do that at all. But if you do that, you're gonna end up being able to deliver pretty much a brand new building and so it'll take all of the boxes but the cost of investment is just so huge so there's a balance there in trying to figure out where do you how far do you go and uh, and what at what point does it no longer you know make economic sense to do that and uh, you know will you get the extra two or three euro per square foot or, or pounds or dollars per square foot that you want by making the extra investment that is the the big question that we're all kind of dealing with today. <laughs> got a question in from one of our listeners and they were asking about the confusion out there on diff- all these different strategies and this is something that I've actually started to kind of notice because s- since I started my own mastermind program I found that there's an awful lot of programs out there offering different things and it's all about these different strategies and people will select a program because of the strategy that it's offering And and I got a sort of push back on that now, that is where I kind of differ and that is where you know you've got so many different strategies out there first of all you've got whether or not you're going for residential or commercial you've got you know rent to rent and you've got the be or 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 method and you've got you know flipping and you've got turning into HMO and you've got you know buy to let or do you go into development or do you look at you know the commercial space do you look at office flex office do you look at co-working and um and all of that stuff, like there's a huge amount of different, uh, you can also go into um, what's serviced, serviced office or into uh, service departments. And, you know, there's so many different strategies out there. And each of them might make sense depending on on which area you're kind of, you, you've consider yourself to be specialist in. But one of the things that I've said in, from since the start with this podcast is that strategies evolve and they change and business models kind of go out of fashion and you need to be able to think in first principles and so I've always pushed first principles as the as the kind of the main driver from my point of view in this in this podcast the way the way I look at it is that there is you know, the business models for example some of the stuff that I made you know lots of money on back in the 2000s and stuff in the early 2000s they were on retail, commercial retail. And nowadays, you basically wouldn't touch commercial retail. Certainly at the moment, it's it's been very, very difficult um, the last while with um, with the pandemic and stuff. And if you look at just the way the market has changed in general, I mean, there used to be bookstores used to be a great kind of business. And you had, I remember here in Dublin, we had Waterstones and we had a, a, a bookstore across the road from Waterstones called Hodges Figgis. And these were huge bookstores that sold, you know, they had floors and floors of books and there were great places to go in and explore and stuff like that. Nowadays, you don't see that. I mean, they might still exist out there, but you certainly don't see people queuing up for bookstores anymore because they can just do everything on Amazon. You can buy all this stuff online. And if you look at, for example, back in the early 2000s, one of the tenants that I would have sort of rented to a couple of times would be. Blockbuster, or as it was called here in Ireland, X division and those were video stores where you kind of went in and you rented your video for the weekend or whatever. And those, those that was a huge business. Like Block Blockbuster was a massive, massive business. It was, you know, hundreds of staff all over the world. It had hundreds, and in fact, it probably had thousands of locations across the world. Huge business and. I think the ceo it was it was a business you know worth two billion or something like that the ceo had uh you know a 60 million dollar a year salary it was a mega business and suddenly the business model has changed and it's now gone and it is no longer in it doesn't even exist any longer and so what was a great business model for me for a couple of years is no longer a business model and if i go and visit those units that i filled with the tenants and then sold and made a nice profit and then moved on to the next deal I somebody bought those units and now when I pass some of those units they're completely empty and they can't find a tenant for them and so it just shows you how business models they can change and they can evolve and so you don't want to go and become a hostage to a strategy so if you're going out there looking at which strategy should uh, you adopt I would tell I would suggest that you kind of Hold back a little bit, and you just sort of say, "It's it's not the strategy; it's the universal principles of investment that you've got to kind of think about." You got to sit back and just evaluate what you're trying to do, and think about it from first principles. So, first of all, location. You you know, are you familiar with the location? Do you know a lot of the different things about that location? Do you have perhaps inside knowledge? Uh, Did you grow up in that area? Whatever it might be, you may know things about that area that other people don't. So that is, you know, useful information to have. If you're brand new to an area and you don't know anything about that location, then you've got to be thinking, asking yourself, do you know enough? Like, uh, do you need to study this more? And I ask that. I say that because, you know, you can go into a, a market or into a location or something like that and be, you know, a person who immediately says, "Oh, wow, look at this fantastic thing." And it turns out that it's it's sitting on a flood in an area that floods or something, and you have no idea about that. But if you grew up in that area, you would have known that it flooded a few times. Timing is another thing. The market timing, you get the timing wrong, you can pay, you know, at the very top of the market, and it won't take long before you get proved proved that you made a big mistake and the market price can fall and you can be stuck carrying something that is you know, just just badly you know just get your timing wrong and you can actually really lose in this game and then the economic situation out there i mean the in, the economy at the moment is it's kind of a stra- it's in a strange place we're looking at a lot of inflation at the moment and things like that and way and and uh, you know labor shortages and material shortages so it is an unusual time and so just the, 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 the principles that I kind of consider when I'm out there is, you know, the, the supply and demand of the area that I'm looking for. And how do you assess that? Well, you know, you go out and you try and identify how many people are queuing up to buy a house or how many people are trying to rent a house. And uh, that that's easy enough. You can find that out from just local uh, portals that sell property and stuff—you can see how many hits they're getting or how many views they're getting. You can also do things like uh, one of one of my um, mastermind clients made a suggestion the other day, it's, and it's really kind of uh, struck home for me. Is um, he he often puts uh, dummy ads up there to kind of just find out which which type of unit is going to get the best price. Uh, so, for example, if if he puts two bedroom en suite, or does it—is it just two beds or? things like that he'll put out different ads just to find out which ads attract the most hits and which uh, you know have the most number of emails or inquiries or whatever and that's a great way to assess the demand for the area you'll know the supply because you can see if anything is available in that area then the market you know what is the chance that the market is going to turn at some stage in the near future is the market highly, you know, is it is it sort of running away with itself? I would suggest at the moment it kind of is. And so you really got to be thinking very, very carefully about the risk mitigation uh strategies that you've got. Now I did a podcast on this not so long ago about the different risks out there. But you've really got to be thinking about what are the different risks that are out there and you know how can you prepare against that. And you know you've got market risk, you've got financial risk, you've got all of these different risks I would be worried about financial risk at the moment because with it with inflation starting to raise its head there is a chance that interest rates will start to rise at some point in the future and so you just have to be thinking to yourself will my will my borrowing start to increase is now the time to lock in and try to kind of get you know five years or uh, you know a five year rate or something like that and fix yourself in now these are just things that you need to think about your tenant risk what's the chance that your tenant pulls out or goes you know bankrupt or you know folds the business or or just that you don't have the same amount of tenants as you thought you would you just need to think about all of that in the context of buying your property it doesn't matter what your strategy is this is all the same stuff you you still have to understand the supply and the the risk and the timing and the interest that you're paying all of that stuff then it comes down to delivery, cost control, execution, as as I call it, and it's you know if you're if you're refurbishing a property, you need to have a pretty good handle on how much it's going to cost. If you if you sort of pile into the property and you make kind of these assumptions that it's going to cost you you know fifty thousand or whatever, and it turns out to be a hundred thousand because you didn't know that something you know needed to be fully replaced or whatever that's you know that could cost you that could be the difference between making money or not making money or, or being able to kind of finance it out of your pocket or having to kind of get extra debt from from the bank from the investor or whatever and then your legal and your tax structure how is that done you know can you mitigate any kind of tax leakage sometimes you can buy things in a certain way that Attract additional tax that perhaps you wouldn't pay if you had structured it differently. So you need to think all of these things through. And finally, of course, you've got your ability to finance. Can you raise the debt? Um, is the debt, you know, manageable? Is the debt, uh, you know, is the rate that you're paying? Is it? Can you lock that in and fix it for a while? Or is it, are you going to be sort of taking your t- chances that it continues to be a low risk environment at the moment? Can you recruit investors? And then what about your financial management i mean does the cash that you're getting from do you have a surplus coming from the property back in the early 2000s when everything kind of all went wrong we were doing these deals that were based on assumptions that there was going to continue to be this kind of crazy growth in the market so when you were looking at doing a property deal you weren't assessing it on today's rental price you were assessing it on a years at a year from now, the market will have risen even further. And so you you were building in this growth rate into your pricing. And it was just, I think it was a, a bad way to do it. And it did, you know, get at people, a lot of people caught because instead of buying it at a certain, you know, when you were doing your calculations, straight away, the deal didn't look like a good deal. But if you assumed that the growth of rents were going to increase next year and the year after, and therefore in in a year's time or two years time when this thing was built and delivered it would actually make sense but today it doesn't make sense and that was the uh <laughs> that was where a lot of people perished because the market in fact went down so you not only did you not make sense on the day you bought it but the market actually continued to fall further and so a lot of people they uh, they perished on that particular one so patience and discipline and i guess consistency in terms of your your due diligence and stuff just make sure that you are consistently checking you know doing all of your tests doing all of your risk mitigation do not lose your uh, patience and do not get emotional that is one of the big things i would say about this property business that is probably the most important and um, it's actually there's something this, this something i was watching on tv just recently came up and um, I've been watching the Netflix documentary Turning Point which is all about the the 9/11 or the September 11th 2001 attacks on New York City and uh, Washington and it's a whole series it's a whole documentary on on the thing and it's fascinating I I actually was watching all of that live back when it happened I was I was in Barbados at the time and um, what's fascinating is just now looking back you know with the passage of time you can kind of review all of these things You can think about it um, in a kind of rational way as opposed to the emotional way that everyone was at the time. And that is what somebody says. They were saying that, you know, a few days after 9-11 had happened, you know, the president had ordered, you know, troops into Afghanistan and all this kind of stuff. And everyone was like so angry and out for revenge. And like, it's totally understandable that that is how people were thinking because they had just been attacked and it was an obvious response. But that that is where you've got to be careful and um, you know if you go and do something in an emotional state you don't always have the benefit of rational thinking there behind it and uh, if you do something in a kind of a heightened emotional state you can actually make a lot of mistakes and okay obviously in that case they went to Afghanistan and they ended up in at the Iraq war And there was all this stuff that they did with Guantanamo Bay and all that. And I mean, whatever your politics are and all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, is they did all of this on the on the back of anger and the the sort of the desire to seek revenge, as opposed to having a rational sort of thought out process and thinking, okay, how are we going to exit this situation? I mean, they've just pulled out of Iraq or sorry, Afghanistan in this last week or two after 20 years, like they went in there because of an attack that cost them 3000 lives. And I think something like a million people have died in that Afghanistan kind of conflict. And I think they've lost that many numbers of troops in that time. So you kind of wonder, was it worth the effort? I mean, it was certainly, it certainly at the time it felt the emotionally the right thing to do, but from a rational point of view now looking back, the billions that were spent on that war, was it worthwhile? If they had sort of paused for a moment and thought rationally, like, okay, how are we going to do this? Are we going to get in? How are we going to get out? If they had thought that all through. It might have led to a different, you know, a, def- a different decision. And this is where emotions can affect your rationality. And I'm going to bring it this all the way around now back to property. And if you go and buy a property in an emotional state, either because you're in love with a property or you've you're, you've got this kind of you can you can get greedy or your ego kind of take over i've actually experienced all of those experiences i've i've bought a property in a in a kind of greedy state where i thought that there was fantastic opportunity and i jumped in and turned out that that opportunity didn't happen and so the greedy reason that i went into it disappeared and then i was stuck with this property for a long time i also fell in love with a property and i kind of thought oh this is going to be amazing this is going to be, just look incredible. So I paid top dollar for it, and it ended up costing me a lot. Those were two emotional decisions that I made. And when you make something in an emotional state, you can miss the signs of trouble. You can kind of overlook certain things. And I talk about this in one of my earlier podcasts, or two of them, I think I talked about cognitive bias. And cognitive bias is a big issue, because it's your emotional, automatic sort of thinking. And um, you don't always think these things through, you, you kind of just make an automatic decision because it's kind of like the easiest thing that you can see. And uh, and so you can get yourself in trouble doing that. And you can end up, you know, you screw up basically and you end up with a lot of problems and it costs, it can be very costly to get out of these things. You end up selling at a loss. And, um, and that's why I'm saying this at the moment, because we're looking at all the inflation that's going on and construction costs are starting to creep up and everything like that, I just, I would, Urge everyone to just be cautious. At the moment, you know, there's people out there all looking at property. They're seeing the property market increasing and everything like that, and they're all there saying, I've got to buy something. I've got to buy something. And they're starting to get emotional. They're starting to feel like they're being left behind and that there's this FOMO there. And I think you need to be careful of that because that is one of the things that's going to get you into a deal. That is going to turn around and bite you later on you've got to remain that control and that discipline all the time don't allow yourself to get into a situation where you kind of you lose that bit of discipline and you say you know what if i don't do something i'm going to have no property i actually think you'd be better off not buying anything than rushing into a decision and being potentially stuck with something and then when the market does fall back you're going to be stuck with this thing, but in addition to that, you're going to miss all of the good opportunities that come out when the market is lower. Now, there's one example that I just saw recently. One of my uh, mastermind clients was telling me about this, and he has been looking at a an opportunity in uh, here in Dublin, and um, he he put his name down on the the auction site. It's the online auction site, and. I think you know the reserve whatever it was anyway this this property that he was interested in attracted 40 or 50 bids and it ended up going for more than double the guide price and he says that when he actually went in to view the property there was somebody else there viewing it as well and she was obviously there with a builder or somebody that was going to be doing some work on the house and he overheard her kind of saying I'm going to be putting the kitchen here and I'm going to be doing the bathroom over there and we're going to change the bathroom and we're going to put the living room. And it was very obvious to him that she was completely emotionally tied into this property. She was basically, in her mind, she had already bought it and she was like, she was actually decorating the property in her mind. And anytime you're in that situation, you are emotional and you're going to make a decision. You're going to probably bid more than the property is worth, you're going to get yourself into a situation that you could come to regret later. And uh, it turns out that 40 or 50 people were all after the same property. When you've got 40 or 50 people after the same property, all it takes is one or two of them to be emotional, and that price is just gonna keep on going up and up and up. And you do not want to be bidding against people who are emotional, because what makes sense for you as the investor, the disciplined investor, uh does not make sense necessarily um at the price that an emotional person is prepared to pay and so you just have to kind of sit back and say you know what it's gotten too frothy i'm going to just sit back i'm going to sit on my money and you don't you don't you know you don't go broke making a profit but you do go broke making losses and so you've got to be careful about that kind of stuff and uh, especially with inflation now starting to creep in i just think there's an awful lot of risk out there and i do think that the market could turn negative at some point, I was just reading about in China, there is this huge property company. I just forgotten the name at this moment, but it has $300 billion of debt and um, it's unable to do it. And basically the company is about to default. And uh, I mean, that's most definitely gonna have an impact on the the Chinese property market. And you'd wonder, will that have some sort of contagion and, and, and end up, you know, getting, going beyond china and starting to impact other markets now it may not happen at all but with all of the money that's been pumped into the economy by because of pandemic and all that there just seems to be a a slight amount of euphoria out there and inflation and just you know people are kind of losing that rationality and i do think that we could possibly be looking at the market kind of turning at some point now i'm not saying stop buying or don't invest or whatever I'm just saying, take a moment to evaluate your emotions. Are you getting impatient? Are you feeling pressure to buy? Are you, or or are you being very, very calm and making a very kind of calculated evaluation? Are you looking at the value? Are you looking at the return? Are you looking at the risks? Are you weighing up those risks? Can you mitigate them? And can you buy this property at a price that makes sense today? and not and based on some assumption for the future. And in the event that the market turns negative, can you weather the storm? Are you going to have something that rents even in a downward market? And uh, if you're happy with all of those answers being, yeah, I can I can manage that, well, then go ahead and do it. But be patient and be disciplined and don't feel the pressure that, and don't get yourself emotional because once a rational thought, once you start losing that rational thought, you're just going to find yourself making all sorts of silly decisions and um, you will miss the opportunities then later that come along in the down market that's all for today guys i hope you have enjoyed this podcast i hope i have redeemed myself with the uh, with the bit of value that came today Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast then please by all means if you could leave a review or indeed share the episode out with someone you think of it and um I think it would be great if you guys could just get in contact with me through social media or whatever and let me know if there's any question, burning question or topics that you guys have. Or if you think if you disagree with me on any of this stuff, you know, please let me know. I'd love to I'd love to hear an alternative response or an alternative kind of uh you know, somebody to debate on this and uh and I'll happily talk about it on another episode. So if you want to connect with me, the Facebook group behind the facade community is probably the best way to do that or alternatively on social media. My handle as always Gavin J Gallagher and that includes my YouTube channel. And guys if you want to go and add yourself to my uh, my mail list or check, check out what's going on in my world at the moment then go and check out my website gavinjgallagher.com the uh the, the you can just add your name in there there's there's various places where you could say that you can join my tribe and it'd be great to have you on there. And uh yeah it's I'm sorry that I have overcommitted myself in the last few weeks but that is now behind me and I'm happy to be able to say that it's all different now. I have managed to get on top of things. I, I basically did a couple of late nights back to back and uh, I am now in a situation where everything is good and so public declaration gonna go out now and I'm gonna sort of find an event and sign up for it and declare that next week or something like that. So hope you've had a good one guys and uh, speak to you all very soon.